Good evening and welcome to tonight's broadcast. We have a special one for you. You know, I was thinking about making this an episode of Pizza Punk and I'm realizing now that I think the Pizza Punk is going to be a separate thing and that, you know, we have to, we're to open it up a little bit more and just, you know, have just interviews like we just had um, director of Dark City on and that wasn't a Pizza Punk episode either. That was just Alex Proyas. So we're doing, we're going to do a similar sort of vibe. That's how we're doing it. So welcome to tonight's show. Um, I just got done watching a killer, killer documentary made by a, a killer friggin' documentary filmmaker. I mean, I was really blown away by the craft and we're going to talk a lot about it. Um, this guy is also, uh, he is a, a, a passionate lover of all things Danzig as am I. So it, 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 there's a lot of different uh, intersections to, to converse with uh, tonight's guest from filmmaking to documentary filmmaking to music, just all, all, all of the above. Um, I am very pleased to welcome Don Argot, documentary filmmaker from 914 pictures tonight on the show. Welcome, Don. How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. This is awesome. Uh, very awesome. Very awesome. Um, so I watched the I watched the Dio documentary. Let's just we'll just start right off with the Dio. Yeah, get into it. I I you know I watched the Dio documentary. It had been in my queue for a while. I was like, yeah, yeah, because yeah. I just like a good rock documentary. Even if I don't know them, even if I don't know the music, I just like I love that stuff. I just really yeah. do. Uh, I relish it. And uh, so I have that in my queue. And then I didn't realize that it was you who made it. And then, you know, we were talking about having you come on. I was like, I better watch this. Let me watch this thing. So we have something to talk. We have many things to talk about. But many things, yeah, yeah. yeah, we could talk about that. And I got to tell you, man, uh, I mean, well, first of all, as I briefly mentioned off off air, I am not like a hardcore Dio fan. I know holy diver i have the third record on vinyl whatever it is sacred i got it sacred heart i got sacred heart at a flea market mm-hmm. and you know listen to it i was like all right this is what dio's all about cool cool and um i'll tell you the 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 angle of dio or the the piece of dio that i really have come to admire that i really am enamored by and i can say this because i'm not a hardcore black sabbath fan I prefer Dio Sabbath to Black Sabbath with Ozzy, man. I love Dio's Sabbath, dude. He's yeah. a great front man. He gives those songs an energy that is not present, not, not, not better per se, but that is just not present with the Ozzy versions of the song, the original versions of the songs. And yeah. I suppose this is blasphemous because we, you know, uh, considering my position our positions, people's positions on <laughs> other bands. Yes. <laughs> where, where with this uh, is, replaced front men. Yeah. yeah, with replaced front men. <laughs> but for some reason, the, uh, Dio Sabbath is super valid. My Probably my favorite D, uh, Sabbath song is probably Neon Nights. Really? Yeah, I love it that much. Mm-hmm. I Just, just a phenomenal awesome, track. Um, but that you know it brings up an interesting question and i'm curious what your thoughts are on it before we we go into all the other stuff yeah yeah when does when does 
is is Dio Sabbath one of the few, if only, examples where a new frontman frontman comes in and does a equally valid version of a band? Yeah, I, I mean, he's definitely uh, it, it's a it's a short list, right? And obviously, very subjective. Uh, you could argue, you know, Sammy Hagar coming into Van Halen didn't make Van Halen worse. There are people obviously that prefer the David Lee Roth Van Halen people can have arguments till they die about that shit. But, you know, ultimately, you know, I think the success of like the band, not like, let's say, remember when, uh, what was it? John Karabi took over like Motley Crue, like that that was like the third singer, right? (laughs) But that didn't work. Right. So that's like, okay, that's a failed experiment. You know, Michael Graves, you know, we can go on, but yeah, the, the ultimately when it comes down to it, as I think that, one of the things other than probably Van Halen, and I'm sure there's other examples too, but I think what Ronnie did in Sabbath is one of the very, very few like unique success stories because he not only, he didn't come in and replace Ozzy. And I think that's the, the, the distinction is that he came in and made it his own version of the band. And again, people will, you know, argue till they die over like what they love. You know, Ozzy, you can't say that, you know, uh, this Sabbath is better than that Sabbath or Ozzy's this. And I, and to me, I, I, I try not to, you know, get too hung up in that because to me, it's like, we all win. Like, it's great that we have the first six black Sabbath records. And it's great that we have those two amazing Dio Sabbath records. Like nobody's three, three. right. Well, three for sure. Well, more technically. I think, technically, yeah, technically, four, technically. four, four. Guess, although, yeah. although, wait, wait. Okay, so that was actually going to be my very next thing. So then, something that's super unique and interesting that happens with this version, and I think really is a testament to the integrity of all parties involved. Yeah, and that is that the D- uh, Dio Sabbath reunites to do an album, but they decide, hey, look. Ozzy Sabbath is like a thing. Ozzy was the original singer. We're like, you know, that Black Sabbath is an entity, an active right. entity. So let's let's be our own thing. Let's be a separate thing and just be heaven and hell. And it kills me because, you know, it was on my radar. I made an active decision not to go see them. Really? I want to say it was 2008. I like, yeah. I was just, or I just slept on it. Maybe it was 2009. It was right around the time that album came out. And I just was like, eh, like I'd like to see it, but eh. And then fuck, I just missed out. Yeah. Well, I think what's cool about the film, you know, from uh, it's to me, it's like a culmination of like my whole life leading up to that moment. You know, like I, I grew up in, you know, North Jersey in Pequannock, New Jersey, uh, very typical, you know, suburban, you know, existence, you know, very, very typical of that area of New Jersey and had an awesome childhood. And I got into punk rock and heavy metal, like at a pretty young age, because my cousin was a couple years older than me. So he was the first person that introduced me to the Misfits. He was the first person that introduced, introduced me to like Venom and like, you know, all the shit that I ended up Slayer, all the stuff that I really, really kind of credit as being the you know kind of the building blocks of who i became i think you know it's interesting when you kind of reflect back i just turned 50 so i'm like 
super fucking reflective all of a sudden you know i'm like thinking back you know like, i don't know how long i got i got left but you know looking back i'm like how did i get here and i you know it's cool like when you when you start to see all these little connections that you that you've made and and really my whole life much like people that are in bands owe their whole lives into like what they were into as kids right and like that's the best thing that's the dream if you are a kid and you get in a band and it becomes successful and you get to do that the rest of your life. Like very few, that's like winning the lottery. There's very few people that get to live, you know, ride that whole thing out. And, you know, my, I feel like what I've been able to accomplish is so much related to the music that I listened to. It gave me my kind of like my fire. It gave me my like moral compass. It gave me the things to be pissed off about it. It was like, you know, it was all those things. And, and like, getting to this point to get the opportunity to tell Ronnie James Dio's story. First of all, it was like an insane, like it's still to, to this day kind of doesn't make any sense to me that like I'm somehow can, you know, connected now to the Ronnie James Dio story. Um, but really like the thing for us and Demi and Fenton, who is uh, the co-director on it and have a great backstory with him, but it, it, which also kind of relates to music and shit, but you know, we really wanted this to be a love letter to not only Dio, but to the music that we love and to try to understand, try to make people understand what is so special about this shit. And I, and I feel like it wasn't an active thing that we were like, oh, we're going to make this love letter to Ryan. It just, it's the way it kind of came out, you know, any good, pro good art just like kind of has it takes on a life of its own sure and this did, it had its own energy. Yeah. I did a film years ago about the band Lamb of God and, it turned out that I was when I was filming, I was filming their fans around the world, and we were talking about how music kind of like unites people. And then Randy got arrested in the Czech Republic. Wait a minute! Wait, I, wait, whoa, 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 whoa! Wait a minute! Wait, you were hold on a second. I I remember. Wait, that you did that movie, the or the yeah. thing about that as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> dude! This this guy's done Look at, everything. Put, you got to put my Holy filmography shit, in there, dude. I didn't know it's down in the thing. It's no, it is. Grand movie last days here. That was, uh, I did not realize that that, Oh my God, that, yeah. that was a harrowing. We was, we were just talking about that the other day. I forget where no I shit. was. I was talking about, no, just the, it was a harrowing. It was a harrowing story of what had happened with, you yeah. know, just, just all the factors involved and just the, the craziness and stuff. What to, was amazing is so like, so their manager, had seen my film, The Art of the Steel, and he was actually based in South Jersey, and I'm in Philadelphia. And he had seen the film, and, and he reached out and said, I'm the manager of Lamb of God. I want to do a documentary about, you know, kind of like the band's reach and their kind of like fans around the world because there's like a lot of interesting stories. And so that we started making that movie, and we followed this uh, cab driver in Columbia, uh, Bogota, Columbia. We followed this... Um, who else was it? there was a woman uh, a girl in india who is like a, in the death metal band who is like an amazing character we we found people in israel and so we we talked we were making this thing about the band all the while like kind of following them on their their tour and then when they landed in the czech republic i get a call from larry the manager saying like uh randy's in prison in the czech republic and the first thing i can think of is like I got to get to Prague to fucking film this. Right. Because I'm in story filmmaker mode. Uh, and obviously these people, they, the, the band had become close friends to, to us. We spent a lot of time together and we, we bonded pretty quickly. So, and I spent a lot of time with Randy prior to us like starting filming. So 
you know, it, it was brutal, but at the same time, you know, you kick into that kind of like, you know, I'm making a movie here and like, I can't, this is not the time to like put the cameras down. This is the time to pick the cameras up and cause we don't know what's going to happen. And so then basically I, I, I flew to Prague and was with his wife and his lawyer and we just kind of wow did it. I shot as much as I could, but that whole thing was just so like, talk about luck or bad luck. But I mean, in terms of like, a story developing and unfolding before your eyes is pretty incredible. <laughs> so. uh, greetings to Jody Ramon in the comments. He's throwing up the uh, devil horns, which is very appropriate for the, the episode. And he also is commenting on your shirt, Dan. He's saying it's an awesome shirt. Don. Don. <laughs> he Dan, said Dan. Don. He said know, Dan. I so I said Don. I said Dan. It's it's all your fault, Jody. I've been called worse. Been called worse. <laughs> and the funny thing is, honestly, no shit. Like I basically, I'm like I was when I was, you know, 15, 16 year old. My whole wardrobe <laughs> is Misfits, Sam Hain, and Danzig, and an occasional black flag shirt. So and the you know Slayer. You know what's Here funny? Uh, there's a band I really like. You should check out uh, called Bad Nerves. I actually I had them on the the show a while okay. back, and they have this lyric that I just fucking love. Because I got to tell you, I'm not 50 yet. God willing, <laughs> knock on wood. But you know, like I do, I think about all sorts of big picture sort of stuff as I age, mm -hmm. as as you do, as one does. And, and, you know, I heard this lyric that just friggin um, was such a tonic to the sort of anxieties that come with getting older. And it's it's something like uh, you grow tired of growing old. I got a teenage mind. And I was like, I was like, fuck, yeah, dude, yeah, that's dude. it. That's yeah. it. I, you know what? I'm tired of growing old when I got a teenage mind in my head and that's how I have to live my life. That's how yeah. I have to be at all times. And, it, and you know what, ever since I started thinking about that, it's made me feel good, like happy. Like, yeah. like I feel like that's the way to do it. So I'm kind of yeah. like, I don't know, but I thought you might appreciate that. that Very much so, man. Based on what you just said. So Yeah. It's also <laughs> like, I love, and I, and I, I've, I've been so grateful that I've been able to work on these types of projects that, somehow align with like how you are doing in your life you know there's mm. things that sometimes it's sometimes it's like a forced thing because it's like you're in it and you know that's the life that you're kind of like feeding off the energy of what you're filming but a lot of times like we did um we did this kurt vonnegut doc that's uh that i co-directed with uh, this guy bob and you, what you talked about uh the quote that in that we i think it was morally safer we were interviewing and Kurt Vonnegut has this whole thing about like getting old, like we live too long, you know, and he was kind of mm -hmm. lamenting on the fact that like, you know, you like when we get to a certain point, you're basically your life can, you know, consists of like, you know, doctor's appointments and physical therapy and taking medicine and like that becomes your routine. And, you know, we were talking to these, all these guys that were like morally safer before he passed away. And uh, this other guy, Sydney, who is a close friend of Kurt's, they were saying like, you know, you're basically waiting around for the next doctor's appointment. And like you, you, when you're somebody like Kurt and when you're a thinker like that, when you start to feel like, what the fuck, am, what are we doing here? Like, we got to take a step back and be like, like, is it really living when you're 94 and you, you know, can't wipe your own ass, but you're still breathing? You know what I mean? Like, do you have to, these people that, these are these questions that you have to ask yourself as an artist 
you know, ask all the time and confront you with like the, those questions. And I think, you know, the, we don't ask those questions a lot, you know, because we, the, we don't, I don't think we want to know the answers to them a lot of times, you know? Yeah. We don't want to know the answers to them a lot of times. You got to listen. You really got to listen to some of the lyrics on this album by the bad. You I'll, I'll send it to you when we, when we get off here, I want to, let me, let me just uh, change tracks back to the, uh, the, the documentary itself. And I can yeah. tell you, I mean, as a, as a filmmaker, as a narrative, as a feature narrative filmmaker, I loved it. But as an aspiring documentary filmmaker, um, I was blown away by some of the craft in this movie, particularly oh, thanks, I found Thank it very inspiring and I'm like taking notes, like <laughs> my head, like how I can like copy you without copying you. Just cool, man. So, so inspired by some, first of all, the dramatized, I'm guessing they, they obviously you, you, you created the recreated or you sort of, you made your own B roll. You yeah. shot it on, I, I guess you either shot it on, uh, either shot it on film stock or you shot it on, uh, you shot it digitally and then yeah. used like film convert pro. Yeah. We, we treat, we treated it where we shot everything yeah. with the same camera. So yeah. We, yeah. We, yeah. We yeah. And it, but it really does. And that's the, you know, I got to tell you the, the, some of the filters and things you could apply with like film convert pro or like, especially yeah, the yeah. nitrate one, you could do, you, you could trick anybody, man. You could no, do really cool stuff nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't know. The difference. You could yeah. do really cool stuff. And so it was so great. These scenes, there's three scenes in particular, right off the top of my head. The first one is the guy in the car who um, is not going to, or no, he, he's listening in the, in the rate on the radio. Yeah, there's disco, about, and then he hears Man on the Silver Mountain. Right, that's what it is. He hears yeah, Man yeah. on the Silver Mountain, and he's just into it. And that's something you can't find B-roll for that. You have to create sure. it. So yeah, it's yeah. an opportunity to get super creative. The yeah. second one is when Ronnie James Dio is becomes the singer of Black Sabbath, and the guy's on the couch doing bong rips with his girlfriend, and it's the <laughs> 70s, and you just capture... You know what you capture? You capture something that can't be put into words. There's no amount of sound bites. There's no amount of talking heads that can just cut to that vibe. And that is the vibe of the people that were taking in this music and were around at the time. And that's what you did listening yeah. to music, right? It was an event. It was a thing. It was watching the TV. You sit yeah, back man. on your couch, you pack your bong, you throw on the record, but a, but a, but and yep. hearing and, and just the way that this guy gets turned on to Ronnie James Dio on his couch, just <laughs> fucking a plus dude. So good. Thanks man. Thank you so much. And no, then it the was, last, it was oh, fun. sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go, go, go. No, 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 no. no. Finish, say what you no, want to say. Tell we'll, your last one. Tell your last right, one. And the last <laughs> one, then the last one. <laughs> it's is, gotta be the Holy Diver one, right? Yeah. It's the Holy Diver. Yeah, I yeah. think, are, are there any more? I could, I don't try to remember if they, if I'm leaving we, any of them out. I think that's, yeah, there's, there's, there's like the uh, radio station one, you know, with right, right, of, right. With Nirvana and grunge and all that kind of stuff. Right, right, right. By the way. Oh my God. Some of the things that you, well, hold on. Let me just talk about the Holy Diver <laughs> one. You, you know, this is an iconic, the Holy Diver album cover, even at, uh, for someone I can qualify for this because I am not, as I said, I am not like a devout Dio fan. Like I don't actively yeah. listen to Dio. Um, yeah. Hey, what's going on, Angus? How are you? Um, I am. I'm just, you know, a dude who's like, yeah, Ronnie James Dio. Yeah. Dio Sabbath. Yeah. Whatever. But even yeah. I, everybody it's a, it is part of the uh, pop culture fabric 
is the raw is the is the Dio Holy Diver album cover with the guy sure. Murray. I didn't even know his name until I watched the documentary with Murray yep. and the guy with the chains <laughs> on. You watch if you watch behind the music, like you know, in the early aughts or whatever, like some VH1 programming, you're going to see something about Holy Diver and Ronnie James Dio, which is probably what I first learned about Ronnie James Dio right. or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, Don lovingly, passionately does this sort of recreation of a story that you could never put B-roll to. Sure. And I, those chains were probably like plastic chains that you spray. <laughs> no, they're real over. chains. They're real Get chains. out of here. Really? Yeah, they're real <laughs> chains. <laughs> oh, wow. I thought those were prop <laughs> chains. No way, dude. Those were real. Excellent. How did you, so how did you film that thing, man? It must that, have been so well, that, dangerous. What's funny is that, that um, when we shot that, that really was the thing that opened up that, kind of motif throughout the film because we when we were doing all the we did all the interviews and all that stuff first we interviewed a ton of people uh and then we kind of got shut down because of the pandemic so there was a lull of all that kind of stuff and then we you know we finished up filming and i and i think it was you know gene kirkland who's the photographer who tells us that story as soon as he told us that story i'm like this has to be in the movie but like because we asked him, do you have, still have the negatives? You still have like the, you know, the, the contact sheet that you made. And he's like, I, I was looking for it the other day. I can't find it. So I was like, God damn, like this is such a great story. But you know, as making when you're a filmmaker and storyteller, you're trying to, you know, you got to show, you can't just have a talking head up there just telling the story. Nobody wants to see that. So what are we going to show while this person's, you know, telling this, this cool, but long stories. So you, you need to, and he just, the way he told it was so visual that I was like, we should just do, let's try this as a recreation and recreations are, are really tough. You know, people that talk about it, just like music, very subjective, like what, what that line is for a good recreation versus a, you know, bad recreation. You know, you have the unsolved mysteries recreations and you have like a kind of like true yeah, crime, dramatization. very, yeah. And it's really, really hard uh, to pull off that, you know, that, style of thing and you know we've we've been toying with this for a while in our work we did a film called framing john delorean and alec baldwin we got to play john delorean in it and we did this we we mashed this whole thing up it was like a harebrained idea and wait a minute it, so whoa 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 so what was it like hold on i'm, I'm pausing you for a second because you just casually mentioned that you did <laughs> that you worked with alec baldwin yeah, what was well, it like working with alec baldwin that must have been like what, what's amazing is like experience. he it was crazy he's he uh talk about again like you, your life has these like insane moments in it but we, you know we did this film the art of the steel which you know was the third film that we made in our, Banksy, in our career right no it's actually uh it, it was the one that that was it came out around exit through the gift gift shop but oh that's what i'm really thinking about, of. that's what i'm thinking yeah, of. Yeah. art of the steel is more is about the this kind of art heist in philadelphia um is kind of like it's a, it's a really really interesting story um check it out if i think it's on amazon if you want to check it out. I, but, I definitely will check it out. Yeah. Sorry. But, go ahead. Uh, but Alec was a huge fan of that film and he loved that film and told everybody about that film. And he invited us to the Hamptons to do the special screening. And we ended up having this like crazy night where he opened up this <laughs> restaurant across the street that was closed to make us all this food. And it, you know, it was like, and then he's telling stories about Martin Scorsese and like, you know, you're just, you're wow. just, you don't talk, you just listen. You know what I mean? That's, that's how it's like. So, but working with him, he's one. So when I called him, because uh, we were, we had this idea to do this Dorian film, and I was like, you know, the the whole conceit was that there are all these competing 
Hollywood film projects about John DeLorean, DeLorean that were trying to get made at one point in time. And at one point there was like four big time greenlit Hollywood film projects. And then none of them happened. So we're like the, the way into the story was like, how did, why is this guy have this story that Hollywood, you know, can't seem to crack, but they, they want to tell the story. Maybe there's a way for us to like, learn who john is through that you know in two sentences for anybody watching that might be curious who is john delorean super quick john delorean if everyone, if everyone here has seen uh, back to the future that's the delorean car uh and the john delorean was the creator of that and is a famous kind of like uh, insane story about you know uh, northern ireland and <laughs> cocaine yeah, yeah cocaine and, and <laughs> fbi stings it's insane it's a pretty insane story so uh so yeah so alec we we asked him if uh he'd be interested in playing alec uh to play john and these like recreations that we had that were like you know kind of like showing what the hollywood version of this story would look like right so we kind of meld that with like documentary elements and stuff so you know it's it runs hot and cold for people people either love it or they don't like it so whatever we did it it's out there. You can like it or not. It's on Hulu now. I think you can watch it. So, um, but yeah, Alec was, he's, he's, he's an intense guy. He's an interesting guy to be around. And I think like, you know, you don't, I didn't want to get sucked up in like all the bullshit of it all. I just like, I kind of like the idea of just like, you know, being working with this guy and he was having fun and, you know, he was cool to work with and awesome. You know, he was awesome. He's an awesome dude. Um, and then what were you talking about that I rudely interrupted you to tell me that <laughs> sidetrack story? Oh, yeah, now we have to circle back. Now go yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about more. the recreations in Dio. Yeah. Right. Okay. About so we're talking about, oh, right. That's right. Now you're talking about, right. You were just talking about the recreations, recreating with Dio. Actually, you kind of finished that up. You, you wrapped that up already pretty yes, much. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah. But I, and then some other, some other um, amazing aesthetics that I loved about this uh, documentary. One, I love the transparencies with the Sharpie written over it. Just a great organic way to sort of do something that is, has been done to death. And that's a problem. It's not a problem per se, but it's like, how do you do something? How do you do something that's done a million times in documentaries, but do it in such a unique way that kind of feels like analog and also feels like rock and roll and, it kind of looks like a contact, like like commentary via contact paper. Like you're like, hey, we're we're laying this laminate over because we want to write comments on the photo of whatever. Yeah, well, um, that, that, so Demi and Fenton, who was the co-director and editor, um, you know, we we talked a lot because we we're both huge Dio fans, and we decided to do this, you know, co-directed together. And Dem's an amazing filmmaker in his own right, but he's mostly been our editor for the past like twenty years. Um, and we, we co-directed the last days here, the pentagram film together as well. And, you know, it was just one of those opportunities where, you know, he got to do a, a little bit more than he normally does. And, uh, but he's an amazing, you know, kind of storyteller and filmmaker in his own right. And, uh, he had this idea when we were kind of talking about how to put the movie together. Cause you know, when you're doing a film like this, where the main subject is not around any anymore, and it's not like there was a treasure trove of like 10 million interviews of Ronnie James Dio to pull from. So you got to get creative. Right. And sometimes, you know, that's, that, that is where great ideas are born out of because you don't have the resources and you don't have all the materials that you need. So you have to get creative and uh, you know, Dem's uh, like kind of direction was, 
you know, let's make this like the, the metal kids took over the, the, um, the overhead projector and are given the lesson plan on Ronnie James Dio. And I was like, fucking brilliant. And so that's all yeah, his yeah. handwriting. And, uh, so it's, so I love that there's that personal touch in there too. And, uh, yeah, it's, I, I, it's, it, it was such a crowning like moment in my career to be able to like, you know, get, make this film, you know, get to meet the, the Dio folks and get to meet a lot of my you know musical heroes. Oh yeah. Actually we we got to talk about that. Talk to them, yes. you know, and oh hang my out God. And like, it's just Holy like insane, you know, um, another, uh, b- before we move on to that, I just want to quickly harp on the fact too, that, you know, one of the two elements that this element that we were just talking about, like the transparency uh, element yeah. that we were just talking about one is one way that this is utilized in the narrative or whatever the story or the thing it's uh, it's used to add little notes where it's like you have soundbite going into soundbite, going into soundbite. It's not like you don't want to break that up with a screen of black. You don't yeah. want to break up the flow of what is being discussed in the sequence with this little tidbit that's kind of related and interesting, but doesn't serve the story. So instead, boom, I'm laying this right on top little Easter egg thing. Hey, look at yeah. this. Look at there's this little thing, blah, 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 blah. And then also with the lyrics. And I, you know, I don't know what the hell Dio sang about until I was watching this documentary. And I just saw it yeah. was like really like into he was just a really magical, positive little man who just, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> like he just he really was kind of like a magical metal elf in a way yeah you know and 100%. Um, you know just like a guy who this is this is what i get out of it is he was just a, a really authentic soul who who was who never gave up which is something i deeply admire um you know just time and again and here's a guy too i, I don't think I think even more emphasis could have been put on this in the doc. I mean, it's mentioned like twice, but it's just something like that's so extraordinary when you really sit and think about it. This is a guy who was singing and, and doing his thing in the fifties. He started in, he, he had a bunch of groups. He was putting out singles. He's a contemporary of the Beatles and he was around, he was a contemporary of Elvis and that he endured Decade after decade after decade after he found who he was, he found his identity in Dio. He was trying to find it. He's like, okay, I'm going to be in the elf. Okay. I'm going to be in rainbow. Okay. I'm going to be. And that's the theme of the documentary. Uh, yep. Time and again, Dio is not the boss. He's not the shot caller. He, Iomi's the shot caller. Blackmore's the shot caller. Finally, Dio becomes the shot caller. And once he's in that position, it's like no matter what the wave of success or the wave of whatever uncertainty, but no matter what the no matter the 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 peak of the hill or the deep valley, um, he was like, "This is who I am. This is where I'm at. I found where I'm supposed to be, and I'm just going to do that." Yeah, man, beautiful. I mean, like we'd made this film during like the pandemic, and you know, for a lot of people, the pandemic was like a really bad time we were very fortunate because we were working. We had a lot of work right. already when things had shut down. So we actually did really well. But the fact that like every day my job was to go in and listen to Ronnie James Dio. It's like, like I was the luckiest guy in the world for like a couple of years, you know, being able to, to spend time 
with this amazing human being. Like that's really what it comes down to. And, and by the end of it, you know, we're just trying to convey what this guy was really all about. It's not bullshit. It's not a version of him that like, and then there's the, the shitty version that's going to come out later of like Ronnie, the, you know, like the tyrant who was a dick to everybody. It's like, no, this was this guy. He was amazing. And there's very few people like him. And looking back at his career and what he was able to accomplish. I mean, again, what I said earlier, when I was talking about like my career and getting to this moment, it's like, you know, it were, it was voices like Ronnie that like even probably subconsciously kept me going. It made me think mm. that like you could do this, you yeah. know, that's what great. That's what like, that's what punk rock's all about. That's what heavy metal is yeah. all about. Like that, like we don't want your shit. We're going to do our shit. Right. And like, yeah. we don't care if we can't do it as good as you guys over there. We're going to yeah. do our thing. And then, you know, that's the, you're talking about like kind of movements built off of that, like over time. And it's, it's, it's this continuum, you know? So like Ronnie, uh, what he imparted to me was like the believing in myself to, so that I would, I would start my own company and make my own movies and got to tell his story eventually. And by me getting to tell his story, hopefully I'm going to inspire more people to either seek him out or live more like Ronnie or whatever, like you, like as a filmmaker, seeing something cool in it that you want to, Oh, try. I mean, like, so that's so beyond inspired by it. But that's what's so beautiful yeah. about like what we're this is all about, right? Music, movies, it's the shit that like we find early on and it never leaves us and it and it helps form the communities that we that sure. we kind of build off of the rest of our lives. You know what I mean? These are friendships that I'll have the rest of my life now because of this, you know. So that's incredible. Now, now this movie, I, I mean you know, there's several documentaries are really difficult uh, to make <laughs> for a lot of reasons. And the best way to make a documentary is when you have full cooperation with the estate or the person of interest or the, you know, the subject matter. And you get access to all of the talking heads that are that make that that would elevate the story and i would say mm -hmm. without a doubt that everybody you were able to you you have the definitive ronnie james dio documentary because i mean you got everybody that you <laughs> need to get for a ronnie james dio documentary yeah. let alone less to load motherfucking members of black sabbath he got bill ward fucking uh What's his name? Tony Iommi. Tony Iommi. <laughs> Geezer <laughs> Butler. Bill Ward. I said Bill Ward yeah. already. And, uh, and uh, Vinny. Um, Vinny. Oh my God. Apathy. Yep. I could yeah, not believe. I could not believe that you had. All, so take me through what it was like <laughs> interviewing these guys. What was it like I mean, interviewing yeah. members of Black Sabbath? It was. Uh, you know, it's it's surreal. I mean, honestly, this is this is the stuff that like you know, it's hard to put into words if you don't, you know, if you didn't grow up listening to this music, but like, it's more than just like songs you like. It's more than like a cool record. It's your fucking, it's, it's DNA. You know what I mean? It's yeah. woven inside you. Right. It's, yeah. it's more, it's way bigger than like, Oh, I really like that, that paranoid record. It's like, dude, this is, but this is, this, this music is the soundtrack to my life. It's like woven into me. So, you know, when you get the opportunity to meet people that created this stuff, it's you know to me i i never get starstruck because it's 
it's not what it's about for me. It's about like, I'm, I have an opportunity now to like, I'm in front of this person and I don't want his signature. I don't want, you know what I mean? I don't want to pose for a picture. I want to talk to him. I want him to know me. I want him to hear what I have to say about what he's been able to do for me or whatever. You know what I mean? Like be like a real connection versus something that like, Hey, got to meet, you know, so-and-so after the show and I got my picture with him. It's like, yeah, that's cool. Like, and, but I had these opportunities to like meet these people and spend time in their homes or wherever. And like, you know, it's just, it's surreal. It's, it's all you can say. And you, and you have to constantly kind of keep yourself in check of like, Holy shit. I'm talking to Bill Ward. Holy shit. I'm in Rob Halford's house. Like, Holy shit. Lita right, Ford's yeah, like Rob Halford, handing me yeah. her, you know, her, uh, her double neck thing that she was in like the close my eyes forever video. Like what? Like what's happening now? You know what I mean? So you just, so you just go with it and you know, you just, you're cool and you're yourself. And you know, we've, we've been able to connect with people and stay in touch with people because we're just like to think that we're just cool people that have that are into what they're into, but they, we also have stuff that we're, that they're into that we do. And that's, it's a pretty cool place to be, you know? Um, so when you went to when you went to these locations or when you went to to do these interviews was there ever any like did you was there ever any like you walk through this and there's this thing from this thing and they're like oh yeah that thing blah blah blah, blah like that sort of thing did you, any, I, anything I th like I th that well that the probably the biggest one is at wendy's office wendy's got the original artwork for holy diver and it's right. like yeah this, she mentions in the yeah movie. so like that and that, that like seeing that like in person was kind of like you know, it's like seeing like <laughs> fucking you know, Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa, you know, yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, for certain people, it's like, oh, I'm in the presence of something amazing, right? Uh, I'm trying to think back. There wasn't any, a lot of people, uh, we didn't film direct at their houses a lot of times. A lot of, you know, Tony wanted to, the, the crazy thing about Tony Iommi is he took forever to schedule. COVID happened. We were going to fly to the UK, but then the UK shut down, everything shut down. And then, weirdly I, I we were simultaneously doing this phil specter doc series for showtime um and i had to go to the uk to do an interview for like the main interview that for this doc and so it just so happened that i was in the uk but i had to quarantine for 10 days at some like airbnb and that was in that time span we filmed tony iomi so even though i was wow. in the uk uh, I still had to do it via, you know, Skype or, you know, Zoom. So I had a crew go and we had rented a studio that he it was close to his house. But like, again, nicest dudes, like really, really, they're, they're not the most like geezer, Tony and Bill are definitely not the most talkative types. Like geezer, I think we probably did like a 20 minute interview, but we asked him a lot of questions. He's like, doesn't, he's not very like forthcoming with that. explain like, that just in general you are i mean you know you are a, you're i mean you're an interviewer and you are a documentary yeah. filmmaker and if anybody could speak on 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 the art of trying to get people to talk i you know i do this on my youtube channel in a very yeah. casual way and i will tell you that it can be really hard to especially if you want someone to talk about a certain something or whatever you have to like approach them in the right way sometimes you have to ask 
if they're not understanding the question, you have to ask the question slightly differently or yeah. in a different kind of way. You try to circle back. Sometimes you just got to cut loose and let go. Be like, okay, that's not what yeah. I, what I'm hoping to like uh, ask a question about is not being understood and I'm not going to get an answer. And I, I only have this window of time. So I need to jettison that whole notion and focus on something because you're thinking about sound bites at the end of the day. Right. Right. Right, um, right, right. What, what is, uh, what have you learned about that process over the years? And like, is there any sort of psychology that you put into, like, I, I suppose reading people probably, like, you mm -hmm. have to read body language. I don't know. Tell me about that. Talk yeah, about it's, it's, it's an interesting. I, I, I've talked about this a lot, you know, when, when talking about like certain things that don't get talked about enough about. I think, in, when you're making a doc, I think a lot of people don't focus, they think like, oh, you just do an interview. You know, and you get some, you, you ask the person a lot of questions and, you know, just like everything, it's, it's obviously way more complicated than that, but so much of it and so much of this has, you know, like, just like any playing music or making films, it's about you. It's about like, when I walk into a room and I have a connection with somebody that's like, I can't define what that is. I don't, I can't define what makes people comfortable or not comfortable with like certain people in rooms. So for what, for better or worse, my partner, Sheena and I, who we like pr pr co-produce, uh, produce together and co-direct sometimes together. Like we have that quality where like we walk into a, we, we've always been those people that people would tell their like deep, deepest, darkest secrets to. And it's like, I just met you. You know what I mean? It's just like, <laughs> there, you know, there's just certain people. I don't know why that is, but I think that's, obviously that's an unspoken thing. That's not something you can like train. It's energy. To, it's, yeah, it's, it's energy. It's energy. You're right. And then, and then I think in terms of like how you ask questions, you also want to spend time before you sit down with somebody. I always like to spend you know, a ton of time because I don't want to like cut too much into the time that we want to spend. And I certainly don't want to talk about the same stuff that we're going to talk about on camera. So it doesn't feel like they're rehearsed or anything, but I do want to talk a little bit about like what my expectations are and the kind of things I want to talk about just because at that moment, then you're at least giving them an opportunity to say, you know what, I don't want to talk about this or this. And I think when a lot of interviewers fail is they go in and they don't have that rapport and they ask a question that just comes out of left field. And the person's like, you know, what? fuck you. I don't need to sit here and, and do this. And so it's all about the relationship. It's all about the energy. It's all about that, like respect that you have to earn very quickly, frankly, and, you know, when you're doing projects like Dio, we're coming in as like ultimate fans, right? Like we love Ronnie, you love Ronnie. Let's talk about how much we love Ronnie. Like that's an easy one, right? But like when we got into stuff with Wendy, had, having to talk about some of the uncomfortable things in the story, like firing Vivian and, and like Ronnie and them not like living together their whole marriage, like things that were sensitive. Yeah, we we had a relationship enough with Wendy at that point where we, we had this kind of like jokey yet, like, yeah, yeah, we're, you think we're kidding, but we are going to get into this. Like we are going to talk about this, Wendy, you know, like, <laughs> and you know, but that comes over that we're not, that wasn't the first interview that we did. Right. That's but like, she's the also last kind of, she's also kind of to an extent because she's, she's essentially the, the boss on, yeah. on, on in certain ways. Right. In a bunch of ways. Yes, yes and no. But I mean, what we try to do in these types of situations where, you know, the, and this is one of those kind of like 
ugly realities or rea whatever you want to call it. But, you know, as there are more and more docs being made on bigger, bigger people, clearly the people that are, you know, in control of the libraries or the story want to have a say. They don't want to be like, sure. hey, Joe, Joe Filmmaker, here's carte blanche and do whatever you want and tell my story warts and all like, you know, right. That's of course, unrealistic. Of course. Right. So you have to toe that line. And I always feel like the way you tow it and it has to be personal to you and it has to line up with like your morality or whatever your ethics are, is that like, Hey, I know that we're doing this as somewhat of a, like, you know, you're giving us this material with, the understanding that we're not going to make you look bad or not going to paint you in a negative light, but not that we would do that anyway, but there has to be an understanding that like, Hey, if we're going to do this, we're going to have to ask hard questions. I'm not going to just do a right. 90 minute Ronnie James Dio is awesome movie because no one wants to see that. And frankly, people that know that our fans have know a lot of the inner workings and a lot of the dirty laundry that's been aired over the years. So like, you can't not talk about that stuff. And right. that's what, and I think that's what gains you trust from an audience, regardless of like who is the perceived person behind this, the scenes. If it doesn't, I mean, w Wendy had zero editorial control over the film. Not to say that like, if she said something, we wouldn't have taken it seriously or we would have whatever, but she was so she was enamored. Trusting. She was she, trusting. She was trusting. She gave us a space. We made the film we flew out to LA to screen it for her in a private theater. And, you know, when the film was over, she sobbed for like 20 minutes straight. Wow. And we came back in and she just gave us hugs. And she's like, you know, Ronnie would have loved this. And you made him and me so proud. And I, I couldn't be more proud of this film. So like, that's how we kind of started the relationship after like what we, sh so it was not like we had a screening that was just like, you can't say this. And I can't believe you put that right. in. Or that. It was like, and, and it was not all glowing and it's not all positive and, you know, rainbows and what, and fairy tales, you know? So I think it's honest. And, and, and I think we, we told Ronnie's story and gay and, and told it in a way that I, I think, uh, he would be proud of, but also like that we, he'd say, we also got it right. You know, I, I talked to, we did a screening at, um, South by we, that's where we premiered it. And Sebastian Bach was there and geezer Butler was there, which was, Oh yeah. Sebastian Bach is, he's a character in that. In the Dude, movie. That guy what is a such character. a character, man. It's funny. Cause I walked in, I walked into his house and he had this painting of the, of the old Batman cover. Oh, and I was like, Cool. I was like, oh, I did a documentary called Batman. He, he, literally, he goes, hold on a second. You did Batman and Bill? He's like, I'm in touch with Athena. Like, she painted this picture for me. I commissioned her to, off of the movie. No shit. Like, this is the first time I'm meeting him, walking into his house, you know, and he's like, and, and the piece that I, I pointed out was something Athena painted for him with the daughter of Bill Finger, a granddaughter of Bill Finger, because Sebastian saw the film and reached out to Athena to tell her how much he loved it. And that's how that whole relationship started. So talk about getting into, you know, a, a good space with somebody. It's like, Oh, yeah. cool. now you want to talk about you. And so he was, it was funny because he was like pretty, he was pretty hung over. I think he was on a cruise and one of those, like, you know, whatever Sebastian rock, Bach 
cruises or whatever, right, <laughs> like rock right. cruises. So he was, he kind of even forgot about it, the interview. Like when we pulled up there, they let us in and he was like, clearly it was like, oh shit, I forgot I even like agreed to do this. So, like, so luckily we broke the ice pretty quick. And, uh, but yeah, he was, he was feeling it. And then we went into his record room and had that moment where he was like, he played the last song. And that like, was excellent. Beautiful. That was excellent. Beautiful. It was awesome. You see, those are like the, but here's the thing. And it goes back, going back to that energy, by the way, just to touch back on what you were saying before with, with, uh, you know, um, uh, the just dealing with the you know making movies with people who are in charge of the states and things yeah. it's a mixture of of it's it's po it's politics and it's also integrity and it's trying to find the right balance but about Absolutely. but to go back to sebastian bach freaking you know again yeah you break the ice with him everything's chill and then you get these really authentic it's like cameras rolling you get these really authentic unplanned moments of dynamite where he's yeah. like showing off the record and he talks about the last song and it's just you can't make that shit up man it's just beautiful so good. yeah and, beautiful. It, and it also like creates the that part of the film which is beautiful like you know you you don't know how all these pieces you know but I, I always tell people like making a documentary is like putting a puzzle together with a bunch of blank pieces it's like there's no there's no blueprint here like we you're moving stuff around constantly to see what works what doesn't work and then you you know you you obviously have to have an idea of like the thing you're making when you're shooting it but ultimately you know you it all comes down to like how you piece it all together and how you put it together and what what stories you choose to put in and what you leave out and all that kind of stuff so it's it's uh it's challenging. It's really challenging. But like when you get these moments when everybody like, like that moment where he's like talking about Ronnie's best song, which is his last song, like whether you agree with that or not, it's a beautiful segue into where yeah. that is in the movie that gets us yeah. to that next point. So it's like, yep. that's what I mean. Like you, so this was a puzzle piece that we didn't know it was going to fit or if it was going to even be in the puzzle at all. But it turned out like that was a great piece and that, made another moment like kind of connect and, and it's kind the of beauty of creativity it. man and it's the yep. beauty and also it's true in that it's a testament what you're talking about is a testament that you know and i you know this applies to like narrative film as much as it does documentary film you you know you sometimes you find the story in well no it definitely applies to documentary film but this what i mean to say is it can also apply to a narrative fictional story that you're telling Sometimes, sometimes you find the story or you find the story unintentionally in the edit. It comes yeah. out in the edit and it's part of that. It's a beautiful part of the, the creative process. Yeah, that's what the creative process man. is. It's just like uh, it everything just, just, just works, works in that kind of way and snaps together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's really cool. And, you know, the, it's amazing. That's an amazing film. The, uh, the, the, uh, the Bob Finger uh, documentary because you know it was a great injustice what was done to to bill 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 figure yeah. yeah he uh yeah right bob kane the 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 you know it's the same thing with stan lee and jack kirby yep you know it's the same exact story you got you got the big idea man or you got the big the the, the, the person that comes up with like the with like the the seed and yep. then you got the person that tends that seed and turns it into this ginormous tree. And that was Bill Finger, dude, who 100%. invented just as much. Man, so much shit came from Bill that, yeah. you know, when you look at the original 
drawings of of Batman in the red leotard with the dynamo <laughs> mask. It just yeah, it's man. just like it's kind of it wasn't gonna cut it. It wasn't gonna cut it. It wasn't gonna cut it, 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 you know. But Bob <laughs> Finger, I mean Bob Kane, cross the wires here. Bob Kane yeah, was yeah. a shrewd businessman who had yeah. really who had parents that showed him how to, you know, how to play the game. How to play the game. And that's why you see Bob Kane's name everywhere and Bill Fingers not as much, although that's changing little by little. Yeah. Yeah. You know, incredible. I mean, yeah. It is pretty incredible. And it's good that movies like that are out there sort of showing a, a rarely seen piece of the story that is so integral to the history of what essentially is. I mean, these these you know, comic book characters are our mythology. I heard Nick 100%. Cage say this in an interview. He was talking mm -hmm. about how, you know, the Greeks, they have their they have their gods. Everybody's got their own mythology. What do Americans have? America's a new country. Well, our mythology is our comic books, one of them yeah. at least. For sure. And especially when you think about how tied in they were to, to events like World War II by bonds, you know, like all that stuff, like yep. Captain America. You know, the personification of what we we would we hope and wish and aspire America to be not to yeah, go down totally. that ugly path. But no, but, but you to not to keep plugging my own shit, but like, why not? go ahead? Plug so away. so that we did so because we did Batman and Bill, we ended up um, remember the quit. Remember Quibi that was around for like a hot minute. It was like uh, it was uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg's like kind of failed mobile. It was all, everything was going to be on your phone. It was like content for your phone. It was oh. like the, and, and then the pandemic happened and then they launched it during the pandemic and it just failed. Oh, 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 oh. And they did the most dangerous game. Yes. Yeah. 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 So they had, had, it was all, they, vertical, they all right? This, Wasn't it like yeah, all they had all this too? money. Exactly. Oh. They had all this money. <laughs> they, they threw all this money at like content creators like and big names like Steven Spielberg, like they, right. you name it. And right. so, we get a call after a couple years after Batman and Bill from the Russo brothers who are, who got contracted by Quibi. You got a to, call from the Russo brothers. Yeah. So they want to do, they, there was a book called Slugfest, and it's about the decades long rivalry between Marvel and DC. And they were going to do these as Quibi, like short form Holy pieces. Shit. So we created this whole thing. Uh, it's 10 episodes. We got, you should see, I, I mean. Right, that's what's in your, I saw it in your resume thing at the bottom. So you know Ray, Ray Wise from uh, Twin Peaks? You know, of course, Palmer? of course, yes. He plays, he plays Jack Kirby in one of the, in the recrees that we did. Oh, that's and good he's casting. a dead ringer for Jack Kirby. Yeah, that's so, good casting. So you got to check it out. They're, it's, it's on Roku now because all okay. that, so Quib, Quibi failed and I guess they, they sold whatever content garage sale shit to roku so it's on roku no one knows about it but like kevin smith narrates it it's really and russo brothers executive produced it you know wow. he directed it like it has an incredible cast and they're just like short little vignettes about you know like the comic book industry and we and we we tried to find like obscure stories too like stories that even comic book people might like not know about so like when you know uh th there was when jack kirby left uh, Marvel to go to DC. He basically created a, a series of comics there, and he did one called. Uh, and the story is this guy Funky Flashman, which was basically Stan Lee, and it's just this way that he was kind of like ribbing Stan and like you know kind of like making fun of him 
you know, not so, not so, uh, inconspicuously. So right. it's like stories like that. And it, and then there's the guys that wrote Dr. Strange on when they were high on mescaline. It's, it's a, it's a good watch. <laughs> it's a good watch. <laughs> um, I want to take a moment just to, just to, uh, mention that we are running a contest and if you watch this episode, uh, wait until the end. I'm going to ask a trivia question. Actually, Don is going to ask the trivia question, and it's going to be a Ronnie James Dio themed trivia question. You're going to send your answer in to uh, from a smail at gmail.com. In fact, let me just play the, the quick little video because I made a quick little video for this. I'm going to be doing a live show every single day. I'm going to be giving away a t-shirt. At the end of every episode, I will ask my trivia question. You will send your answer to fromismail at gmail.com, and the first person to answer correctly will be the winner. You give me your name, your address, and your t-shirt size. If you are outside of the continental United States, you will have to cover shipping and handling. Join us night after night where I will be doing t-shirt giveaways who doesn't like a free t-shirt i'm not gonna go easy on any of you i'm gonna ask really hard questions so be prepared <laughs> yeah so wait till the end of the episode for that uh because uh that's when the question gets asked and since we're already doing uh uh sponsored sort of situations let's talk about stickers for a minute and you know the funny thing about stickers is they're sticky and the uh the the sp- <laughs> the uh the sponsor of the Frumus channel who we're also doing that t-shirt contest with is riotstickers.com riotstickers.com is a great place to get stickers if you have an image that needs to go on a sticker you go to riotstickers.com you can get a thousand stickers for 79 dollars that's almost that's like seven cents per sticker technically it's eight cents but it's seven cents per sticker you can't beat that deal uh link down in the description below you go to riotstickers.com backslash from us f-r-u-m-e-s-s you click on that link that's where you're going to get that deal you're not going to find that deal anywhere else only at riotstickers.com backslash from us let's play the quick less than jake 60 second commercial we will be right back with more don All right. And we're back and we're back. Okay. We're back with Don. We're talking about document. We're talking about a lot of different stuff. We're talking about music. We're talking about documentaries. Um, But uh, you know, besides all that, Don and I have something else in common. We are both uh, passionate, passionate lovers of all things. Misfits, Sam Hain and dancing. And what's funny is um, uh, truth be told uh, many, many years ago, I actually had a phone call with Don 
over the phone. Super nice guy. We we had a conversation. It was really great. Speak with him. We spoke about a bunch of different stuff. And um, what was amazing is recently I, I, I noticed, I was like, hey, why does that name sound so familiar to me? I saw him. He was he was in some groups uh, talking about misfits related things. I was going, oh, that's the same guy. That's the same guy. And I was like, oh, and I was like, you know, it would be nice to have him on the show and just, you know, just to say what's up and say hello and whatnot. Um, Don, when did you what 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 attracted you to the 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 music of Glenn Danzig, particularly whatever, whatever you prefer to talk, discuss Miss with Sam Ader Danzig? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, what what it's, attracted you to that stuff? I, I think it's the same attraction that you get when you know you hear the first black sabbath record or you hear you know any music that you really connect with for the first time it's really hard to kind of put a uh it's because it's a feeling like it's not something it's kind of indescribable so like when you when it works it works and when it doesn't it doesn't and i i'm trying to i don't necessarily remember the first time the first song i heard ironically but you know, it was probably around 86. Uh, my cousin was a couple years older than me and um, he was in, starting to get into like some like speed metal stuff, some like punk, you know, like we started listening to, uh, you know, punk and stuff when we were really young and we started punk bands together. Um, but that, you know, getting into like Black Flag and stuff. And some for some reason, the Misfits didn't like pop up right away because they're they kind of are their own thing in so many different ways you know like obviously they're part of this thing but you know this is 1986 so and I'm, I'm only going by like what was happening in my you know immediate surroundings but my cousin bought a three hits from hell at sound exchange which is our local you know record store we would go to in jersey for four bucks and that was probably the first record that i listened to was you know those three songs london dungeon and uh Har hotel and um ghouls night cool out. out and uh it's just like you know like how can you go wrong like that's just it's fucking amazing right like it's everything that you like about punk rock but it's also like melodic so like uh, it, ironically like listening i started playing guitar when i was 14 so i was like into the beatles i was in the singer songwriter stuff i was in but i was also getting into punk and screaming and i was never like one i wasn't into just one thing and so like when you hear the misfits for the first time, they have that raw energy of punk rock that like when you're a kid, you get sucked into, but then Glenn is a, a legit singer and you're just, there really isn't, there wasn't anything that sounded like that. I mean, you, you point out bands like the damned and stuff, but that's more to me, that was more goth than punk. Like the Ramones weren't Johnny, Ramone, uh, Joey Ramone didn't really, wasn't a singer per se he's great good a cool voice but like he wasn't singing like glenn was singing there's just something special about what the misfits were and i think for you know obviously for fans like us still today that it's still as relevant today as it was when we heard it back then um yeah i mean that was just and, and then but in 1986 the band obviously had already broken up and it was hard to find those records like i remember walk among us like you would hear about it and you'd hear somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who, who had a, a record who had the record <laughs> and you'd be like wait who can we get to his house like can we borrow it you know it was like because it wasn't about collecting at that point it was just like hearing the shit right that's all we wanted was here so somehow you know in in that 
in that kind of like circle, someone was like, WFMU in South Orange, I think, ha you know, they have a copy of Walk Among Us. So I started calling the Pat Duncan show. I think this is like the punk rock hour or whatever. And I was like, do you have Walk Among Us by the Misfits? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, can you play any song? He's like, what song? I said, I don't know what songs are on it. Just play a song. And <laughs> any so, song. <laughs> so I because I, I didn't, you couldn't find this shit. You know I mean? Again, we, it's, I know we sound old when we say stuff like this, but like, man, when you had a, like, you needed to like learn shit. Like it wasn't easy. Like it, it was a job to like get information. Right. So, you know, we're, so I, I asked them to play a song and I had my tape deck next to my radio to record it. And I wish I still had the tape, but I got the, I think Pat was like, and here's one for Don in New Jersey. It's, and it's 20 eyes. And dude, I must've listened to that song. Like once I had it recorded over and over and over. And I was like, it became this quest to get this record that was like, might as well have been, you know, the shroud of turn or like so, something that's like, you know, so unattainable, right? Like this, uh, the, the Holy grail. So finally, I don't know when it was that we ended up getting, uh, when that got re-released, I think it, well, it got re-released in 88. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's probably when I, I was able to buy it, but up until then you can get die, die, my darling and get earth AD, but the singles were like, even at that point, there was a place in East Rutherford that I would go to called Music Man. This guy Lou uh, ran it, and he had he went to school with Glenn, so I, he had that that picture of Glenn with the long hair. He had like it behind the counter, I remember, right? And uh, and then in his like case, you know, where they had like highly like collectible stuff, he had a Halloween, and it was a hundred dollars. And I'm like 16 years old. I'm I don't have a hundred dollars, so I asked him if I could make payments on it. So I paid him 25 bucks a week for a month. And then at the end of the month, I got this record. And again, I, I couldn't wait to get it home just to hear the two songs on it. You know what I mean? It's like, that's like 50 bucks a song that cost me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and yeah, let's be fair. Halloween too. I don't know. It's worth the 50 bucks. You know what I'm saying? But what <laughs> Oh man, that was, I got to tell you, I have to agree with John T. Connor here. He says, first of all, friends and I would listen to all that all the time back in 80, 87, 88, uh, somewhere in there. Love these interviews, man. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for listening in, John T. Uh, you know, yeah, I love, these are my favorite stories to hear, these kinds of stories, because they're not only are they stories of, they're stories of youthful discovery. And that's part of, again, you know, we talk about all the time on the channel, like why, like what is it about this band and this that I want to pour over every little fucking detail and you know why because it's not just a story of entrepreneurs um you know entrepreneurship via punk rock self-realization through your own art and entrepreneurship but it's also it's coming of age discovery and like the eagerness about not being able to get enough of something that you absolutely love yeah. and is in such a finite precious quantity that you go out and you seek it and part of that back in the day was the chase it's just you gotta and now and and you know uh, just to do some sort of um full circle armchair psychology i see you today in groups like you're still at it you're still you have a, a, an impressive collection uh, you know, I see you from time to time commenting and stuff. That's why I like Rashad. I was like, I got to talk to, I got to, I got to connect with Don because <laughs> I just know, I, I just, I, I just, I want to talk to him. Um, what does it do for you today 
uh, whether maybe you, maybe it's not conscious for you, but if you, if it is conscious for you, what do you get emotionally from doing this really sort of this, this, this treasure hunt when you're going out and seeking this sort of stuff? Tell me about that. You mean getting the records or, or yeah, getting the records, having the collection. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's well, I've had to ask myself that a lot recently because this stuff is like so expensive and you know, you have to like try to justify it somehow. <laughs> like, like what am I doing here? <laughs> Spending this much money for this month for a seven inch or, you know, but, but I think for me, you know, in my office, I, I've, I have uh right across from me. I have this like little, it's like a hutch, I guess. I don't know what the fuck it is. It's got a little uh, storage below and it's got an area to display stuff. And I have all the seven inches that I have they're in front of me all the time. And it's like, and it's purposeful because to me, what I figured out like in my self-reflective, you know, turning 50, whatever is like this, that stuff that I got into when I was 15, 16 years old is the reason why I'm here. It's the mm. reason why I do what I do. And it's, I named my company 914 pictures because I, I want to, a cool name, but I also was like Henry Rollins' publishing company's 21361 and it's his oh. birthday. And I was like, that's fucking killer, right? I don't want my name in it because that's cheesy or whatever. And so I named it 914 Pictures after, but that was my inspiration. And like my Glenn, son is 912. Awesome. Yeah. And my daughter's 918. So there you go. Nice. There goes. Nice. Um, but what's cool is that for me anyway, how I've looked at it is that this is the stuff that has kept me going. That has given me the, you know, the kind of inspiration that I've needed from time to time to get to, to kind of keep going. And to me, the physical kind of handmade thing that Glenn created is just, it's kind of, I, and I, again, it's only for a certain amount of people that get it and it makes sense for them. It just, there's just something really special about it. It's, it doesn't yeah. feel, it, it feels like art. It, feel, it doesn't feel like, um, you know, like a $4 record. It feels like, no, this is like a lot went into this and this, it's, this shit's important and, and it has stood the test of time. And for me to be able to like, you know, as I'm working to look over and see all those records for constant reminder of like, yeah, man, this is what you're striving for to like, do shit this cool, right? So that maybe like whatever. It's not about me uh, like wanting to have that level of fame or anything, but it's like you know, it's all about this reciprocation of like Glenn gave that to me. I'm you know, they somebody gave that to him. It's been passed on and passed on, and it comes out in music. It comes out in art. It comes out in film. Yeah. You know, we don't know where these where people get inspired by. You know, Jack Black's a great example. Like you know, he's he's carried the torch for whether people like him or not. Like he's done a lot for heavy metal in terms of like, like something that he loves and believes in. He's known yeah. as this comedic actor of these high profile movies, but at the end of it, he's just a dirtbag metalhead. Like we all are. And Wait, he we brings that energy. About this. We have to talk. <laughs> I can't believe I was trying to think in my head. I was like, who did I hey, forget hey, to mention? My, my Go battery's going to die. My battery's going to die. Go on ahead. My thing. Go ahead. Gotta see if I can grab a battery. Give me one. Okay. Second. Okay. No worries. It's okay. I'm going to fill in the dead air. Uh, Don, this it's so cool to talk with Don about all this stuff. This guy is out there uh, living the dream, making, making films, making a living, making films. It's just really, it's really awesome. And he is greatly inspiring to me. He was 
when I spoke to him many, many years ago over the phone and he continues to be that way today in just terms of like, you know, just seeing what he does and how he goes about it. I, I mean, I'm just, I'm really am, I'm blown away uh, by the, the technique that, that he has employed that he and his co-director and his filmmaking partners have employed in, in this Ronnie James Dio documentary. It's just really um, spectacular. Uh, and it's also spectacular to hear, you know, like just his perspective um, where he's at in his life about all these things um, because it's like, you know, uh, it, it's kind of like a glimpse into the future a little bit. Um so, you know, it's it's just been really great to sit to sit and talk with him and discuss these uh, sort of things. There he is. He's got oh, his, put in his... That's okay. That's okay. I, I filled in the dead air. We cool. talked a lot of shit about you, about how, you know, you're I'll just an obnoxious guy. And, <laughs> you know... Uh, wait, I realized we didn't... Well, we're, we're winding down anyway. We got, This is the... Well, well, first of all, you have to come back on the show. Like legit, Anytime. you have yeah, to come back. I'd love to, man. We'll do a top five. You have to come back for a top five episode. Those are Go super on. fun. We'll, we'll we'll talk. We'll talk. Um, but consider this for now. The uh, we, we're in our final descent. We're winding down uh, to to land our airplane. Um, uh, but I realized I was like I was thinking in my head. I'm going like, did, is there anybody that we missed from that documentary that like you know really needs to be noted? <laughs> when I saw Jack Black in your documentary, I was like holy shit and i was like just dude the dio scene in pick of destiny which is one of my like yeah. truly one of my favorite films is one of the highlights and i am a big meatloaf fan too so that like scene adds a little extra because i love <laughs> fucking meatloaf so much so the fact That's that there amazing. is a scene in the universe with ronnie james dio and meatloaf who both are not around anymore uh, is just so fucking special. But to hear Jack Black's story, that that story, for that story alone, everybody needs, whether you are into Ronnie James Dio or not, you have to watch Jack Black talking about rec uh, uh, do, uh, recording the song for the movie with Ronnie James Dio and the selection of microphones. Tell me, what is it like to interview Jack Black? What is it like to be in his presence? What, like, just tell me about Jack Black. He's got a lot of energy, a lot of energy. He comes right in with a lot of energy. Uh, you know, it was that, that we actually, we did that in some office building in LA because we were going to do, do it at his house, but it was like the pandemic, the rumblings of the pandemic were just starting. And he was like, yeah, I don't want people at my house or whatever. So we had to find it. And it was like a last minute thing. And, you know, it's like, it's hard enough to get people at his level as you're going through sure. managers and shit like that. So I was like, we will have to figure out a place because if we lose it, we're probably not going to get him Huge back. Thing. So, Huge. so yes. Yeah, so we, we got him and he came in, he was so cool. He brought that, like that Dio, like uh like baseball jacket that he got and he had this whole bit planned and he's like i'm gonna do something i'm like all right do it you know it's like so you just go with it you know and and he was uh you know he he definitely um he turns it on right i mean he's got that that element and and i don't think it's phony as much as it's just exactly who he is right it's like it's he just persona. can't help it's who he is right it's being and, on when you have to be on the camera exactly but he also you can also see really great glimpses and that's what i love about and maybe it's only stuff that i see but i could see where he's being like genuine you know what i mean like mm. when you're really like 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 when somebody is like performing 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 but then you get a, like a real authentic moment of like oh that's there's somebody there's somebody in there that's like 
a lot deeper than the guy that you're putting out here, but he's amazing. I mean, what a, like an amazing guy who um, has really done a lot to keep Ronnie's name alive, frankly. Um, and it's funny how, you know, like I said, I'm 50, you know, our generation, um, you know, grew up in a lot of most of, I think people our age grew up with MTV and the music videos. And so like, that was our kind of like, you know, that was our gateway into a lot of music in a lot of ways, like from even bad pop music that is still a part of our lives to like headbangers ball and all the shit that we had to wait forever just to see like a four minute video for, but you know, I think uh, there's a couple generations after us that like, don't like there's a, a, a girl in our office. that's like 24. She didn't know who Ronnie James Dio was. She never mm. heard a quiet riot. She like, we would say all these things. She's like, I don't know who these people are. So like there's what happened with the internet is I think it made everything accessible and then nobody figured anything out. You know what I mean? It was just like a free for all. Whereas like, you know, you for better or worse, seek. you have to yeah. actively seek if you want to learn about something with the, internet. absolutely. Exactly. And that's cool. But I don't think because we did too, when we were growing up, that's how we right. had to yeah. find it. But they're not, I don't think they're really seeking or they're at least they're not finding. I mean, the fact that people are like a revelation that they were hearing Master of Puppets for the first time because it's on Stranger Things is like, I don't know. That's kind of crazy to me, but whatever. You know, <laughs> you know, what's interesting, too, about that. Um, you know, recently I just watched The Flash and uh, have you seen it? Dude, I, I don't. Oh, all right. I can't spoil it for you then. All right. Forget <laughs> it. Forget what I was going to say. Let me know when you've seen The Flash. I will. Uh, I I can't. I can't even make my point because if I do, it will give it away. I can't. I, there's no way to talk about what I want to talk about. I am firmly. I am. I am firmly a non-spoiler unless I'm doing a spoiler-filled review on the channel <laughs> where I warn people of the spoilers. So I will not say that. But that is so cool that you got to like hang with Jack Black and talk with him and like, wow, what a friggin' what an experience that must be. That would be yeah. that would be shocking for me because that dude. The whole thing dude. was cool. The whole thing was cool. Like everybody, and you know, you just feel it's just nice. You know, we've done films about like controversial subjects and we've done things about like whatever uh but it's it's really really kind of rewarding when you're doing a film and everybody's doing it for the right reasons and everybody's doing it because they love the guy and like you know there's just there's it makes you feel good you know what i mean like it's a nice feeling you know the premiere of this thing we premiered in in la and had this great screening at the man chinese theater and had a after party at the rainbow it was like insane and uh but just a theater full of people that were just like totally moved and like, just, just, it's the best feeling ever. You know, it's really the best feeling. I got to say, I didn't, you know, I knew that he was into like, you know, wizards and rainbows and magic and shit, but like, I didn't really, I, I never grasped the whole, I mean, it should have made sense when you're in a band like rainbow or elf. Like I never like the whole thing about the sling of the dragon with the laser eyes. Like I didn't know any of that stuff. So that was like, yeah. I mean, that was so, <laughs> that was so great. That was so great. Um, You mentioned the Beatles before, and I wanted to touch on this because I was curious to know, and I didn't want to uh, knock you off whatever your tangent was at the time. <laughs> have you seen, have you seen, uh, have you seen get back? Oh yeah. It's incredible. Okay. Uh, yes, it is. It, it is beyond incredible. It's, it's tremendous. Yeah. I love it. But what's interesting is in, I don't know if you noticed this, I, I, you know, you know how much I talk about the misfits and how much I love the misfits. 
as much as I love the Misfits, I love the Beatles as much. Like mm-hmm. I am, I like to consider myself an amateur um, historian or scholar, whatever, on yeah. the Beatles. And I, you know, I read, love the Beatles. I've read tons and tons of books about the Beatles. I consider myself fastidiously well read on the Beatles. Yeah. Watch, I was very familiar with what was known as the Winter of Discontent, which is the, you know, the, the, the sessions. Uh, from January, right. From January 2nd, all the way up to, uh, uh, the end of January, whatever date that was. Um, and you know, listen to podcasts talking about the Naga reels and what is happening on each reel and listen, like lots of detailed content. So when I go into watch and get back, um, pertaining to what we were talking about, you can tell. You can a and maybe maybe you have to be you know have made movies or like know about editing or or something, but you can tell that a Yoko Ono had her hands all over this shit and b that Peter Jackson did his fucking best his best to subversively tell a story that frankly he was probably his hands were tied because there were such glaring omissions talking about what you were talking about about like the integrity of of us diehard fans knowing about yeah. shit and then not even mentioning it in the movie because it, if yoko doesn't sign off on it it doesn't get out and so yeah having your hands tied but yet still somehow being able to get whatever you can in because you know that like a message in a bottle it's going to reach those <laughs> diehard fans and they will know what you were trying to say and i feel like yeah. that's what peter jackson was doing that's in- interesting man yeah I, I i i'll be honest i didn't really i didn't look at it that way because i think for me i had already felt that i mean there's a lot of yoko stories right but but i mean right the, the one that like she was responsible for breaking up the band and all that kind of stuff I, well that's I was, that's she's bullshit. not responsible for breaking yeah, but, uh, up the band. John, it was a fact it was a factor it was a teeny little it was totally. it was one of one of one of many things absolutely. yeah absolutely you know so yeah but i yeah i to me i just it was just such a like privilege to be like you know to be able to watch something that feels like it was just made it looks so current it doesn't look like a grainy you know film that like got dragged out of the mud or something like it's pristine it looks like it was just shot and and the it's vibrant and you can see they're alive and i think you know the thing that i don't know about you but like you know i was watching it it was it was like it was released around thanksgiving like last year or something i remember that was was my that was my birthday present i was very happy Uh, I was so excited. I couldn't wait. I had like my whole like couple days planned how I was going to do it. And uh, I think it was the first, I think it was the first episode where I think it, I think um, is, is, was it Paul's doing, uh, they're at, they're at the studio, uh, the, the, the film studio. Tried it. And yeah. yeah, And they're, uh, and I think wasn't Paul, was it, was it, Hey Jude or let it, let it be like early incarnation of it. And John and and uh, George come in with their just the, the harmonies like ah uh, and so, something in me it, it it like it got to the core of me and I started crying immediately. Mm. It was so weird because I was like, what is, what is going on? Like there was it was nothing that led up to it, but I think what it was is like the these like I was we were talking about before about music and and how it's not just like. Oh, like let it be a pretty song or what? It's like it's like woven into you, right? And and these are songs that are like they're part of your life. Yeah. And there's something about 
seeing these two guys that felt so alive and you could, and it was in that moment felt so real and what they created in that moment was so beautiful. It, I don't know. It just, it, it totally hit me. I, and I was not prepared for it at all. I, I just want to, I, I just want to clarify one thing. The get back series is a, a, a masterpiece achievement in yeah. almost every conceivable way, like no hands down. And the third act, by the way, and by the way, the way that the story is told, it is a story. It's a story of of underdogs who are the greatest overachievers that ever lived, but self-imposed underdogs in that they put this self-imposed like constraint on themselves because they have to whatever they do has to be the best because they everything they've ever done is the best. And putting themselves into a pressure cooker where they may not come out uh, achieving what they hope to achieve. And, you know, the the movie is reframed the way that they've re a lot of stuff has gotten reframed and revised over the years and this, that and the other. And the truth of the matter is, like, the reason why they're I feel like everybody's happy and smiling all the time is because that was the one pure aspect of their relationship that was still un. It was it was unsullied by anything else. It had nothing to do with business. It was like we're making music, and when we're making music, we're we're glued together. We're it happy. All works, right. We yeah, it all works, and that's why everybody's like, "What are you talking about?" It's a, it was a bad time. There was, I'm sure, there was plenty of bad times. But you could it's see it. The, but you could see very very clearly in the in the film, you know, and it's not trick editing it's like paul mccartney's the only person trying to keep that band together everybody yeah, else can give I, a shit. I totally understand you know what's funny all these years we've been told talk talk about myths and shit all these years we have been told paul mccartney is a fucking control freak blah blah blah, blah. and i'm sure that's true i'm sure he is i mean yeah. listen when you're paul mccartney you've earned the right to be a control freak you have a you have a record and a precedent that allows you to, right. to, to call the shots. No However, way. it's this situation where it's like, it's like Paul recognizes that if he is not the guy spinning the wheels, then everything it's, is going to fall apart. hundred percent. He has to do all that. And yeah. his frustrations with George are so understandable. He was made to be such a monster in that whole situation. He's so he's being so understandable. He's saying, Hey, George, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to get this one song down. I know that we normally noodle. We're in a pressure cooker, man. We got to do this thing and it's got to be done right now. And then seemingly as a result of stress or nerves or anxiety, he just sits down. I don't know if it's with the guitar or if it's with the bass. I think it's with the bass. He just sits down and you literally watch. Talk about moments that make you tear up. You watch you literally watch somebody pull from the creative force. I believe Don, I believe that there really is like what the Greeks talk about. I really believe this. This is like my religion. It's not religion, but it's, it's my belief. I believe that, th that there is some place other than here where all creativity comes from. And I think that you can attune your brain to be a channel for that creativity. And I, I, you know, I know I'm sure you've experienced it yourself. I know I've experienced it where you're writing something or you're doing something and then something just comes to you and it didn't mm -hmm. come from you. It just came from mm -hmm. somewhere. And that's what I feel like when I'm watching Paul fucking McCartney sit there thumping his bass, just going, get back, get back, incredible. get incredible. back. And suddenly he pulls, 
he pulls the song out of thin, thin air. Thin thin air. air. Yeah. No question. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. And, and you know, the thing too, and you know, this is like more of just about music in general. Like music is this weird thing. It's noise and then it's not. It's mm -hmm. noise followed by silence. It's you have to do a certain combination of of making noise and not making a noise. And then you create this cohesive thing that is a song. A song is something you can't see. A song is something that you can't hold, but it's a song is a thing. And it's this very intricate thing and it exists and you can experience it with other people. Is, is there any way that perhaps a song is this thing that that already existed somewhere and you, you pulled it, you plucked it yourself somehow from this imaginary fucking place yeah like, whoever got the like the uh yeah, whole lot of love one like they like they won out on that one right yeah that's a, that's a lottery that's a lottery right there um but you know eventually that underdog story what's amazing about it is eventually you get to the third act and they're up on the roof and it's suddenly the whole the talk about like the footage and how crisp and clear it feels it yeah. feels suddenly like uh, an artistic aesthetic, just the way that you did with your B-roll in the Dio documentary. Yeah. Suddenly, I feel like I am in a fictional film being told a story. I, You know what I feel like I'm in? The, I feel like I'm in a Wes Anderson movie. The yeah. ending <laughs> of the real life ending of the Beatles yeah. uh, on the rooftop is feels like a fictional Wes Anderson narrative when they're all sitting around the 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 yeah. the the. the the mixing board in the basement listening back and they're all smiling Incredible. and somehow Peter Jackson found this way to turn what was a very sad realization that the Beatles were going to break up into this so very happy moment of triumph. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And that's, that's, I mean, that's the power in stories, right? That's the power in what we do, you know? And, and yeah. uh, it's, it's cool. I, I love that movie. I, you know, and, and, just for those types of things, like you get, you get a, a window into this world that, you know, no one else w is allowed. And that it's just a right. cool feeling. It's really cool. Right. Right. It's, it really is. It's, it's like, it's unbelievable. Let me ask you this. I want to double back to the misfits for a second. Yeah. And, yeah. and we'll be, we'll be wrapping things up. Um, yeah, yeah. The market. I want to talk to you about the market as it currently stands. Cause you brought that up before. I find it very interesting. What is going on with the market? You posed a very interesting question in a, in a chat the other day. I yeah. thought it was super fucking interesting. Wanted to kind of expand on it a little bit, maybe. I don't know. Maybe we can't. Maybe everything that, that was said about it is, has been said already. No, no. I think but it's this idea. No, sorry. What was what was the thing that you posed the other day? This, yeah, this so I was, notion. I, it was funny because I, like, like many people back in the day, like that Thrasher magazine, when you're clamoring for information for this band that you're, you're, you love, then you can, you only can get things in drips and drabs. When that mm -hmm. Thrasher came out, it was like seismic. It was like, holy shit. Like this is a, a real in-depth interview about a lot of stuff and like stuff that we didn't know about and stuff that he was maybe setting the record straight on and then stuff that was in the future. And I remember, cause uh, this is the thing that stuck out to me. And I, I hadn't read that article in like, you know, whatever, 30 years. But I remember thinking that in it, he talked about re-releasing all the singles in like a box set thing. Right. Like, like enter at own, your own risk. Yeah. And I was like, I could not wait for that to come out. And now, obviously, all these years later, we probably can guarantee it's never going to come out. There's not going to be anything like that. But because I was thinking 
there hasn't the the misfits collecting is so specific it's a kind of pretty much finite catalog of you know things you can get there's obviously all the variants and you can get wrapped up in all that stuff which we all stupidly do um but you know at the end of the day once that's all collected it's collected right and only only thing left outside of all that is like super rare things or bootlegs and things like that but there hasn't there's not there has never been an, anything official in terms of a seven inch outside of what it was initially released back in the day. And like, I would think if they were to do something like that and really make it like amazing packaging, not like the, a lot of stuff that's happening with Glenn's stuff, his aesthetic now, which is just not what I think is cool, but that doesn't, that's I, my opinion. We're, we're in the same boat. We're in the same boat. I agree with But you. if they had, to, but he has, I know he's got the original screens. I know he's got the original acetates and stuff. So he could go back and really make them, legit which is what and you could charge whatever you wanted to charge for it because we were the people that would buy it would buy it right but i do think if that kind of flooded the marketplace a little bit i do think it would potentially affect the collector market to some degree I, it would have to i would think right the question that he posed in this group it, we were it's a it's a it is a it is a group for collectors of of various uh Misfits, Samhain, Danzig, uh, ephemera, just like anything Misfits, Samhain, Danzig related, paper goods, vinyl, the whole, the whole rigmarole. Uh, but the idea, but the question is, the ultimate question is, would it, uh, how would it affect the market value of all the old stuff? And I am personally, I am personally the belief that anything that it, it's this weird sort of market where anything that gets added onto it actually somehow makes the original even more valuable than it was before. It does not dilute the market value of any of the original stuff. Yeah, that's stuff. interesting. That's interesting. It, and it, that could what be. It does, yeah, it, what, it does not compete. In fact, because people are such um, insane uh, completionists, whether you are collecting just stuff from 77 to 83, some people like want to collect the 95 stuff and some people want to collect everything that Jerry has put out. And Jerry... You know, the brilliant thing about Jerry is that it's something that, you know, Glenn seemed to like re realign himself with in the in the 2010s and had sort of forgotten about for a time is this notion of of variance and and releasing three different records. Glenn put out Danzig Sings Elvis. He probably put out, you know, 10, 12 different variants, which seems insane, but you know, the, the people that love this stuff are buying it up and they need to have two copies of everything. And yep. it's the same thing with Jerry. Jerry realized he's like, what's the point of putting out an album? I, instead, I could put out a 12-inch EP in three to four different colors in, in smaller batches and sell out like crazy. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and the thing is, all of that stuff... Even all that stuff, all that like, you know, extracurricular, whatever, all of that stuff has driven up the value of the original. Because yeah. as John, as, as uh, Don was saying, the, the, the original stuff, especially when you look at the cover of Bullet, when you look at three hits from hell, when you look at any of that stuff, look at my, de my decorations here, all taken from the album covers and re reconstituted in my own kind of way because I love it mm -hmm. so much. This is yep. art. These are pieces of art now. And Glenn 
whether he realized it or not. And I'm sure he realized it on some level because he was a ginormous comic book fan yep. and uh, uh, knew, knew exactly what he was. Well, he doing. was a collector. I mean, that's that, right. that's the beautiful thing about, I think, uh, you know, that that's what he was given to the things that he was into. He got into collecting. And so when it was his turn to make his own stuff, he recognized that other people were going to like the same kind of shit that he was into. And like the fact that like, a little piece of paper now that people like us will spend upwards of whatever, a couple hundred dollars for a piece of paper. It's a piece of paper. Right. Right. But it means everything to be complete in that record. It needs to belong right. where it, it, where it should belong. And you know, like that's, and he created all that. And, and that yeah. is something that like, you know, well, I, I'll come back and I'll tell you about, uh, We'll, we'll have another session about uh, we'll have another session we will we'll, we'll, we'll do we'll, that there's more there's more to talk about there's this, more to talk about related. it's yeah, yeah. yes we, we, <laughs> we there was so much to talk about this time <laughs> and we didn't it, to open up that can of worms now would be yeah too, too much cumbersome too much, at much. this moment but yeah um and i gotta put my kid to bed so i'm gonna I'll yes to yes so so let's so let's actually let's wrap this up now yeah um i want to thank don so much for coming on congratulations a huge congratulations to you on this a masterful achievement. I'll tell you a, a testament to how great your film is that even someone who is not a Ronnie James Dio diehard fan or fan or whatever, uh, deeply enjoyed and appreciated every inch, every second of that documentary is a testament to, to the good work that you and your team did. So thanks dude. I really appreciate And You can pre-order that that's down in the description below. You can pre-order that right now. There's a beautiful package. They got you. If you look on the thumbnail of this, you can see all the accoutrement that they have to go with the, with the box set, whatever the hell it is. <laughs> and um, the, the thing, and there's bits and pieces of the press release down below. So if you're curious about to learn more about Ronnie James Dio after listening to this episode, please do. And you can find uh, you, you can find Don at uh, 914pictures.com. Again, all links are all down in the description. Uh, we'll say uh, peace and Hercules. Wait a minute. We didn't do the trivia question. Uh, Got to do that real quick. Okay. okay. All right. I'm go. going to play. Okay. So here's the trivia question. Hold on. For anyone who's just joining us or anyone who doesn't remember, hold on real quick. I'm going to be doing a live show every single day. I'm going to be giving away a t-shirt. At the end of every episode, I will ask my trivia question. You will send your answer to fromusmail at gmail.com, and the first person to answer correctly will be the winner. You give me your name, your address, and your t-shirt size. If you are outside of the continental United States, you will have to cover shipping and handling. Join us night after night where I will be doing t-shirt giveaways who doesn't like a free t-shirt i'm not gonna go easy on any of you i'm gonna ask really hard questions so be prepared okay don's gonna ask the question and then he's gonna have to tell me the answer because i <laughs> i don't even know what he's gonna say all right he'll tell okay, me later so go ahead in the in the later years of dio's career he got into an accident where What just happened? Oh, okay, he's back. He's back. Whoa, Don, that was shot, dude. Did you see my face just now? I was like, like you just disappeared, and I went, oh. 
Well, yeah, what did happen? That was weird. I have no clue. I have no clue. This it's the software. Sometimes it's did so you bad. get the uh, did you get the whole question in? No, nope, I didn't hear anything you just said. Go ahead. Oh wow. Okay, Take here we again. go. Take it again. So in in Ronnie's later years in his career, when he was a little older, he got into an accident where he cut his thumb off. What was the cause of his thumb getting cut off? It is literally okay. So I actually like was reading on his. I can't tell you I was reading about it <laughs> and I found out this factoid that I was going to ask you about and totally forgot. I'm so glad, <laughs> I'm glad you, you did. Up. It is literally the most, it's the most magical thing. Like it's no, it's like not, it's like not funny because it was a very serious but thing, but, but it's kind of beautiful. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's in, in a DVD extra. There's we there's a, it's not in the film, the story that is not in the film, oh, but okay. it, is, it is, it is in the there. DVD extra. So okay. you know, when you okay. get the, if you buy the DVD, you'll see in the extras here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> peace and hair grease. Um, Don, hang on one second while I end this thing. Uh, send in your, your answers from a smail at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. 